Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Friends, as we continue in our sermon series, Contending for the Faith, an exhaustive study of messages out of the epistle of Jude, who indeed was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, uh, it stuns me some of the things that I myself am learning as I continue to look at this in more depth than I ever have before. And I'm grateful for my good friend, Julie, who said, Pastor, why don't you do a ser- sermon series in Jude? Uh, at first, I thought, oh gosh, not Jude, Julie. <laughs> you know? But here we are, uh, and we're at, what, number three, I think, is that right? And, uh, you know, uh, there's so much here. And sometimes, friends, you know, I, I realize a couple of things. We're a people that don't like negativity, usually. I mean, sometimes we spew negativity, but we don't want to hear negativity, which is interesting. And yet, if you look at this epistle, we're, we're a feel-good peoples. We want... Uh, preachers to talk about, oh my gosh, the goodness of spirituality, the goodness of salvation, and how things are going to be hunky-dory. Well, that's great, but it's not always true. And so as we look at the epistle, I, I, can't, I can't just say, let's pick out all the good stuff and throw out the, the things that we don't, we don't like in it. You wouldn't want that anyway. I don't think you would. And as I, as I looked at this, I had to focus on what's there in the Word. And sometimes it's like, you know, gosh, Lord, is, is, there, is there any positives out of this? And the Lord said, sure there is. Get saved. <laughs> Get saved and you have to worry about it. And I'm warning you about those people who are going to take my salvation and my grace and make a mockery out of it. That's what I'm trying to teach you. Because what they've done is compromised and cheapened what I've offered. And when people do that, it's not salvation at all. It's not grace at all. And they've misconstrued, misunderstood, misrepresented, and mistaught what I've done. And friends, don't we want to know that? I mean, don't we really want to know that? I would think so. I would think we would want to know so we can recognize it, amen? Why? Number one, so we can get people who do it uh, into a place where they can accept God's real salvation and live it that way and be truly saved, yeah? And secondly, so we don't get caught up in it as well. Agreed? So it's very important. And so as we look at this, contending for the faith, God's talking today about, get this, ungodly dreamers. I have known dreamers my whole life. Sometimes I've been one. Friends, I don't want you to believe that being a dreamer is a bad thing, because it isn't. In fact, we need dreamers, don't we? We need dreamers who can look beyond what is to what could be. Amen? Unfortunately, sometimes being a dreamer is unrealistic because the things that you dream about will never come to fruition. 
That doesn't mean you shouldn't keep striving for them. In fact, I'm one of those people that believes, listen, we should never be satisfied with what we have. We can be better. We can do better. We can gain more. We can learn more. Yeah? Those are good things. But to dream of things and never face reality is just that. It's a dream. Some people call that a pipe dream. I think then there has to be a balance, doesn't there, between reaching for the stars, so to speak, and being an idealist who refuses to see reality. I want that to sink into your head for a minute. God never said, don't reach higher. He said, don't reach higher falsely to things that don't exist or won't exist. I take my truth from the Word of God, not from what people say. How about you? Is that, is that starting to settle in a little bit? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jude, which is only one chapter, and go to the 8th verse. We're going to do 8 through 19 today. I only really need uh, 8 through 16 and then 19, but we're going to just go ahead and do the whole thing. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a really difficult passage to accept sometimes. And the reason is because we don't like what we're going to hear, perhaps, and we might know people that fit the category. We won't admit that either. And sometimes it's ourselves. <laughs> Uh, but beyond that, there are so many different literal translations of this passage. And I've chosen today to go with the New Revised Standard. I very seldom do that. And, and here's why I've decided to do it. Number one, you know that there are translations of Scripture, uh, and we, the most popular is NIV, right? Uh, it used to be King James, no longer is, has it, but for some time, NIV is. Uh, but more and more and more people are going to direct translations that, that don't, how would I say? Uh, don't paraphrase so that you understand it easier. They just put it out there what it, what it says. That would be New American Standard and English Standard Version. Both of those scriptures are accepted in uh, theological seminaries in the United States and the United Kingdom. You can pretty much use either one, okay? But if, you're, if you go to an English school, ESV is the standard. If you go to an American school, New American Standard. But they will accept the other two, okay? Here's the deal. At one time, Revised Standard Version was also a direct translation. The new, new Revised Standard is to a point and could be used and might be accepted in some seminaries, uh, but it does take certain liberties in certain areas. Yet, in this passage, I think that one has depicted what Jude is trying to say a little better than the other two, believe it or not. Maybe because he's, the way he said it, is what they've tried to understand it and translate it that way. And that could be called paraphrase, but in this case, maybe not. Okay? So, New Revised Standard, and what I'm using, you follow as best you can with what you have. Yet in the same way, verse 8, these ungodly dreamers also defile the flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, he did not dare to bring a condemnation of slander against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people slander whatever they do not understand, and they are destroyed by those that, like irrational animals, they know by instinct. Woe to them, 
For they go the way of Cain and abandon themselves to Balaam's error for the sake of gain and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are blemishes on your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, feeding themselves, they are waterless clouds carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their shame, wandering stars for whom the deepest darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, See, the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict everyone of all the deeds of ungodlessness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers and malcontents. They indulge their own lusts. They are bombastic in speech flattering people to their own advantage. But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers indulging their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, who are causing divisions. Now, friends, harsh words, yeah? You know why it's so harsh? Because he's not talking about church people versus people outside the church. He's talking about people all within the church. Mm, is right. He's talking about a division in the church about those who are truly godly, truly Christian, truly converted, truly living by the heart of righteousness against those who go to church but have an opinion about things that they know nothing about because they spend no time in the Word and determine what Christianity is based on how they feel. That's what he's talking about. And you're like, oh, here we go again. You've been saying that for eons. Yep, because it's a happening. And right here, my friends, it isn't my words, it's his. You heard it from the horse's mouth right there. Now, either you believe in the Word of God or you don't. You believe that Jude was inspired by the Holy Spirit and ordered by God himself, or you don't. And when people say, well, Jesus doesn't say it, Jesus didn't say it in the Scripture, then I'm not going to believe it. Well, then woe to you. Why? Because the Bible is the Bible in its entirety, period. The Bible says don't add and don't subtract, yeah? That means don't determine what you're going to study and then throw out what you don't like and accept what you do. And unfortunately, 55 to 60% of Christians today, according to Barna, is doing exactly that. 55 to 60% of Christians are throwing out what they don't like and accepting what they do want. I wonder how high the number really is since that was done back in 2012. Hmm? Thus far in our sermon series in Jude, the apostle and again half-brother of Jesus has told passionately these things that he's talking about, and he's pleaded with us to listen and act on five issues. Five issues. So let's review quickly. He said we're to contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Because people have crept in, right? Told us to watch for and expose ungodly people who have crept into the church unnoticed. We're to watch for and rebuke people who have turned the grace of God into a license to do whatever they want. He has told us to watch for and remove from the church Anyone who denies Jesus is the only Lord and Savior and the only way to God. And he has reminded us of God's righteousness and his condemnation of those who act like the nation of Israel in the wilderness, like those angels who sinned and fell from heaven. 
and the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And at this point, Jude follows the example set by Peter and describes these ungodly people, but this time Jude does more than simply repeat what Peter says. In fact, here he gives us a little bit more, and he says that we must reinforce more and more and more about who these ungodly people are. Peter talks about them. Jude says what Peter does, but continues and tells us who they are. Now, that's kind of good because I want to know and be able to recognize them. How about you? Especially if it's me. Especially if, if I'm the one that's wrong. And sometimes well-meaning people in the church are wrong, aren't they? And you know what our measuring stick is? I don't need anything else. I really don't need it. Do you need anything else? So when someone speaks from the heart, but the heart is molded by the word of God, that person is righteous. You know why? Because it's contested within by the spirit of God. And if it doesn't match up, we got to lose it. Amen? That's the point. And so in this passage, we have to consider Jude's words very carefully, but also soberly. We better take them to heart. So you remember I've told you fasten your seatbelts? Better do that today. Better take some good notes too. But this time, rather than just take the notes, I want you to study the notes. I want you to be in them a lot well past this day. And when we begin our small groups, friends, that take what you learned on Sunday and get together and, and take it apart piece by piece, it will help you to understand how to apply it to your lives. Right, Mandy? Mandy's going to administrate these groups. Pastor Chris is going to do a pilot program with a few people to see how it works out and how we can gain from it. And once we get the kinks worked out, Mandy's going to coordinate making this happen. It's coming, I'm telling you. There's a reason why. I want you to know all you can know. I want you to not take my word for it. I want you to be nose to nose in the word of God. I want God to work and move upon you so deeply, so greatly that there's no question in your mind what's right and what's not. So when you come up against this stuff of people in the church telling you this or that, you can say, I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But the word of God says this. What do we do with that? How do you, how do you, how do you get rid of the word of God? How do, you, how do you translate that in the manner that you think when that's not what it says? Everybody in here ought to be able to do that. And I want you to be able to do it, and you can't do it unless the sermon comes from the Holy Spirit, your nose is in the Word of God, and you're practicing it in your life. The more you practice it, the better you become. Yeah? It's like that anywhere. A ask any musician, any athlete, whether they can be a star without practice. You can't. Amen? Jude wants us to think soberly. Why? Because it ought to break our hearts that Christians, Christians are behaving this way. And Jude is going to describe these people as ungodly dreamers. And he tells us what disgusts God about them. He says it disgusts God. I don't want to meet my maker and him say, Away from me, you evildoer, you disgust me. Nobody has that vision in their mind of heaven, yeah? 
to see heaven and be turned away? I, I can't fathom it. And yet, there are going to be many who do. More will be with the goats than are with the sheep. Pastor Bob, yes or no? Friends, you a sheep or a goat? And if you don't know, you better find out. Amen? What do these people do? They slander and speak evil. They reject authority, particularly righteous authority, and they defile the flesh. In other words, they participate in sexual practices that God has forbidden. You ready? This is serious business. And I'm going to try to present it in, 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 in the most joyful way I can. But it's painful. They slander, or some translations speak evil. About whom? Well, he talks about the glorious ones, but it's more than that. The Greek word translated glorious comes from doxa. Can you say it with me? Doxa. You got a on the end of it. Doxa. You know, kind of when you're trying to clear your throat? Doxa. <laughs> That's why a lot, a lot of Greeks and people that speak that way kind of spit on you when they talk. <laughs> I'm just saying the way it is. Anyway, doxa means dignitary. Or it is also translated dignity, glory, glorious, honor, praise, and also worship. The same word is used for all those things. See why the Greek is so cool? It can and usually does refer to angelic beings or those who are in some type of celestial authority. Some translations will even show the intent of this interpretation by calling them celestial beings. Anybody got celestial beings in their Bible? I'm sure you do. How about angelic majesty or angelic being? Those are the same things. In either case, these ungodly dreamers will not hesitate to slander and speak evility, especially about things of which they have no understanding. In other words, they talk about things they know nothing about. Now, of course, nobody in the world today does that. Right? Friends, I see them all the time. I hear them talking in lines at places. I know who they are. And I want to say something, but I keep my mouth shut. What I want to say is, why do you think that? Where'd you get your information? Who told you that? You just think it up, it feels good to you, or do you actually know something about it? And when people disagree with me, I tell them, that's fine, but you better know what you're talking about, especially if it comes to biblical understanding. Because I'm going to pull out the Word of God, and I'm going to say, oh, yeah, show me. And you can't. And if you can, I'll stand corrected. But I'm, I'm, I'm wagering on the Holy Spirit because I believe in what He has to tell me. How about you? He says they are idealists. They are extremely self-centered and they are rebellious. Know anybody like that? Because it clearly describes people today. People who have opinions about things and have no understanding of what they have an opinion about. 
most notably, Christianity and biblical wisdom. They're the people that live their Christianity by their feelings and what feels good to them, what seems right in their own human understanding, but they never crack the Word of God. Or if they do, they pick and choose what they want to study out of it. And to il illustrate the foolishness of their behavior, Jude tells us about the dispute over Moses' body. Michael the archangel, he says, dared not bring a reviling accusation against the devil, saying only, the Lord rebuke you. Why? Why does Jude tell us that? Well, interestingly, there are two things that come to understanding. One, there's no way the Jew would have known about this thing, this situation, because the Bible doesn't talk about it anywhere else. So clearly, the Holy Spirit revealed this to him, didn't he? You think? How many of you think the Holy Spirit revealed this to Jude? I know it, because there's no other way you'd have known it, unless he made it up. And if he made it up, would God have put it here? No. Okay. So clearly, he had to have told him by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then he inspired him to write it for us to know. And then secondly, even Michael, God's most powerful archangel, wouldn't even consider taking on Satan by himself. Wouldn't even say a word of rebuke against him. Not only would he not fight him by himself, he wouldn't say a bad word toward him on his own. Even though God had him in a place higher than, than Satan now. Even though he was a God follower, God obedient. Even though he was God fearing, God empowered, God loyal, completely in the right before God. He still left the rebuke of Satan up to God. And we should do well to understand that. Amen? How foolish then is what Jude is saying. How foolish, and if Michael himself, who knows way more than any of you, or me, or them, if he wouldn't do it, why would you? How could you? How can these dreamers of today, yesterday, and tomorrow slander or speak evil of those in authority? And yes, Satan, believe it or not, has authority. God gave him authority, didn't he? We don't like it, maybe, but God did it. Now, how Satan chose to use it is up to him, and he has, wrongly. But God hasn't re removed it from him, has he? He will one day, yeah. But yet, he has not. And therefore, he is still God's creation, and God has given him authority. Which is why Christ came in the first place to empower us to use his authority over Satan and not our own. Do you understand that? The Bible is clear that God either put people or entities into authority or he allowed them into authority. And it really doesn't matter who they are. Are you grasping this? And, I, and this is a note to self here. Because politically, I'm sick to my stomach sometimes. Okay? Spiritually, of leaders in the church, sometimes I'm sick to my stomach, okay? And yet, I read what Jude is saying. 
Because sometimes it appears that these people have authority by evil or dishonest means, or even if they're evil, dishonest and self-centered as a leader, they're still in authority, and they wouldn't be there if God didn't allow it. And if Satan has authority because God gave it to him, then God has allowed him to keep it until God judges him for all eternity. And therefore, I must not slander him or anyone else. But what I must do is say, the Lord rebuke you. In the name of Christ, there's your rebuke. Not mine. What are they doing? Slandering about things of which they have no understanding. They have no understanding. They are clearly free with their mouths. They have no problem speaking evil of those in authority, and particularly of those things of which they know nothing about. That's exactly what Judah is saying. Now, I've said this time and time again. Ignorance is sometimes really bliss. I think people, some people just live there. You're giggling, but you know I'm right. Amen? Doc Holliday once said, It appears my hypocrisy knows no bounds. At least he was able to admit it. Most are not. And indeed, that same thing could be said about much of humankind. Peter tells us that they think and act in human reasoning and completely discount godly authority in all matters. Listen to this, 2 Peter 2.12. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. Now, I don't, I don't know how you say that that isn't true. That's not going to happen. Because there are people out there that want to believe that God won't destroy anybody. But he will. He will because he just said he will. And when people act like this, he says they've gone the way of Cain, whose works were evil, 1 John 3, 12, who acted outside of the faith, Hebrews eleven four. 4. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and loved the wages of unrighteousness, 2 Peter 2, 15 to 16. I just gave you absolute proof of the scripture of what he's talking about. It's not just Jude saying it. These other authors said it too. And, he says, they are a stumbling block to the children of Israel then and now. And the children of Israel of that time are different than the children of Israel today. The children of Israel today are those who belong to Jesus Christ, who have become Jews by association and adoption into God's family. Those who were separated and now have returned. That's you and me. That's who they are. And what do these ungodly dreamers do? Well, they sneak in, sometimes unnoticed, and they try to entice us. They teach us heresy, and they try to make sinful practices okay by using God's grace, according to Jude, in a lewd way. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ himself. Those people who want to say, well, Jesus didn't say, well, here it is for you. Are you ready? This is what he said. Revelation 2.14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Friends, that kind of stuff is going on today, right now, in these United States and all around the world. And it's being okayed and approved by people who say they're a Christian. Uh, listen, don't take my word for it. Look yourself. And for this, God says they've already perished. He says they've already perished. Now, I, I had to stand up and take notice. I had to read that again. I'm like, what? And then I said, okay, God, I've been to school a long time. I was educated by you and godly people. And God, I want to ask you something. Okay? I think I understand what you mean by that. I think I understand what you mean that people who do this have already perished, even though judgment has not yet happened. I think I understand what you mean by that. But please enlighten me, and this is no lie. I prayed on this, and I prayed on this, and I prayed on this for better than a month. Just one point, and I couldn't complete this message until I got an answer. And I tested God like Gideon on several things. And I said, but what about this? But what about that? But what about this? Because this is what people are going to say, God. This is the, these are the things they're going to bring up. These are the questions they're going to say, but what about this? What about this? What about grace? What about right? And God said, yep. About that. He says, they will be judged along with those in Korah's rebellion, which was against Moses and Aaron, but in reality, it was against God himself. Numbers 16 and Numbers 26 tell us all about the story. Read it yourself. If they have already perished then without judgment taking place at this point, that means either they've already died without repentance. You hear me? They've either died outside of repentance, right? Or... What has happened? God knows their hearts even though they still live, and he knows that they won't repent before they die or he returns. I tested that with him over and over and over again. I researched the scripture. I prayed about it. I researched the scripture. I prayed about it, and God said, yep, that's what it is. Friends, that's scary to me. That there are those people, get this, inside the church today. That God knows their hearts and they will never repent and change. And they're going to be lost. And some of these people are out there. And you might know them as the most beautiful spiritual people you've ever known. But they allow and teach that we can use God's grace as a license to sin. That's what they're teaching. That's what they're living. That's what they're seeing. That's what they're saying. And it's not Christianity. It's false. What do you do with that? What do we do? Church, what do we do with that? Well, let's put that in the back burner for a minute. So, does this not caution us on how we ought to be speaking?
and know the situation doesn't matter. In fact, James warns us about the dangers of the tongue, James 3, 2 to 12. And speaking of evil of Christians, James 4 and, and James 5. Paul also wrote Titus to counsel Christians not to speak evil of others in, in Titus chapter 3. And when we add the example of the ungodly dreamers and their quick and willing desire to speak evil of others, shouldn't we be very cautious in how we too speak of others? I think so. Listen, I can tell you, there's been an awful lot of politicians that I absolutely couldn't stand. I loathed them because I knew, I knew what they were doing to our nation. But remember who allowed them there. And that's, that's I got to take a page out of his book just as much as you do. Amen? That doesn't mean I shouldn't stand against them. Doesn't mean I shouldn't vote against them. Doesn't mean I shouldn't speak out against their practices. But it does mean to slander them is wrong. That's up to God to do, isn't it? That's up for God to take care of. He's the judge, yeah? But what else does Jude tell us about them? He says they defile the flesh. i got to move quickly. What time we got? Are we late? Not yet. I can't see the clock, and many of you are sorry. I can't see the clock. Okay, so it says they defile the flesh, okay, uh, verses 12 to 15 and 19. He says they were blemishes at the love feast. And I, I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing that most of you in here have no idea what he's talking about there. I'm guessing. They were blemishes at the love feast. And some of your versions are going to put it a little bit differently, but I'm going to teach you something today because I believe you need to understand. Because there's nothing in the Word of God that He doesn't want us to understand or it wouldn't be there. Amen? How many of you want to know? Okay. So, He says they're blemishes. They, these people are blemishes at the love feast. Now, love feasts were what we call agape meals. Okay? Agape meaning love that only comes from God. So, they were meals taken together in the fellowship and love of God. Not eros, not human love, agape love. We might get together and have a meal with people, shake hands with them, and break bread, blah, blah, blah. That's one thing. But when you do it in the provision of a Christian love under God, then it's under His provision that you do it. So this, these were agape meals that were done in the early church. In other words, people got together exactly the same way that Christ commanded them to. In fact, they would do exactly what Jesus did for the Passover celebration at the Last Supper. Is it coming clearer to you now? They would get together, okay? They would wash one another's feet as a form of agape, yeah? They would take communion together in the name of Jesus, and then they would have a meal together and fellowship together in Christian love. When? Every single day. The church met together every single day in the evening, and they did this. Now, not everybody went every time, but some people did. But it was always there. They did it every day. It might not be in the same place, but they always did it. And everybody was invited. Everybody was invited. Now, what would you do? If I said, we are going to have this type of thing every single day at supper time. We're going to come together. We're going to wash each other's feet or hands or whatever you want to do. We're going to have communion together. We're going to break bread. We're going to sit around and fellowship and talk about the Lord together. We're going to do it for a week. 
I'll, I'll lay any odds you want that I would get less than 50% of this congregation to do it. I'll lay you odds. You, you wouldn't get that in any church in the, in, in the nation today. You might get it in some war-torn, impoverished countries where they have nothing else to rely on. You might get it there, but you won't get it here. You know why? Because you're too busy. But here's the thing. I'm not trying to, you know, be mean. I'm just simply saying they did it. They did this because he was all that was important to them. That's all, that's all, they, that's all they cared about. And they all had jobs, just like you and me. They all had kids just like you and me. And their kids were involved in activities just like you and me. Okay? But they did it. And God says what happened here is that these ungodly dreamers came in amongst them, okay, and were hanging out with them at these meals. Well, so? Well, let me tell you about them. What was wrong? The ungodly weren't really Christians, that's what. They went, they went to church, they broke bread, they washed feet with the, everybody, they took communion with everybody, which that's a, that's a sermon for another day, taking communion wrongly. Huh? Didn't it? You think people who aren't saved or who don't live a righteous life are taking communion today? And they've done it without repenting? Hmm. And then they would sit down and break bread together and, and have fellowship. And therein lies the problem. They, they were hypocritical two ways. One, they were doing things of a Christian nature, and they hadn't truly been changed. It doesn't matter what they said. God said otherwise. Secondly, they're sitting around fellowshipping with everybody else. And these are people in a in position of authority in the church, too. Okay? They were lay people who had positions of deacons or elders, you know, diaconus or presbyteros, okay? Remember those Greek words I taught you, okay? About elders and deacons, okay? They were these people. Sometimes they were in a pastoral authority, appointment. Pastor Bob, appointment, okay? They were these people, okay? And what they did is they hung out and they talked about things. And in the fellowship, they would begin to lead people astray by their own belief system that wasn't Christian. And so over time, what happened, people begin to think, well, you know, okay, well, these are, you know, these are godly Christian people. Well, you know, I, you know, I, they know more than I do, so I, I should, I suppose that's okay. That's what they were doing. In fact, he says they deceived people into thinking and believing that they were true believers when, in fact, they were self-centered. Jude says they served themselves first instead of serving others. He says... A, a true Christian wouldn't do that. A true Christian would serve others before themselves. These people didn't. Okay? He further says they were sensual persons, meaning that they thought and acted sinfully, whereas a true and converted Christian would not. In other words, they believed certain sinful behaviors were okay, and they taught that it was okay, and they said, it's God's grace, God's grace. That's what they said. That's exactly what they said, and Jude says that that's what they said. In prophesying about their behavior and their impending doom, Peter elaborates in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2. He says, they will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. 
Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. In other words, believing that that stuff is okay, whether you participate in it or not, and you tell people God's grace and his love cover it, is considered carousing to the living God. In broad daylight, they do it. Yeah, because they stand on that and claim it. That's carousing in daylight, isn't it? They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With their eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed. They are an accursed brood. Clearly, they took advantage of the true Christians of the true Christian's trust, of the true Christian's goodwill, of the true Christian's hospitality, and they enticed those who didn't know any better how to engage in their lustful thoughts and practices. God says they already stand condemned. Remember I told you to put that on the back burner? Here we go. They've already been condemned. Friends, I think I know some people somewhere in the church today, Church Universal, who act like this. Some of their faces are coming to my mind, and they're lovable people. There are people that other than one or two things, I think, have a great relationship with God or, or think that they do. They consider themselves Christians, but they believe things that the Bible condemns. We need to pray for these people. And we need to confront these people in love. You know that, right? Come on, wake up. You're fidgeting around too much. Okay, I, I'm serious. Guys, I, I am, I'm not kidding here. I am dead serious. We need to confront these people in love, every single one of them, every last one of them. And if an entire church is doing it, then we have to do that. Okay? And again, I'm not asking you to make it us against them. I'm telling you, look at it yourself, read it yourself, spend time with God, and you tell me what's right and what's not. You ask God what's right and what's not. And you act upon that. And you know why else? Because God says we must. God says you have to confront them. And there's a manner in which you do it, too. Take, you go to yourself, they don't listen. Take two, they don't listen. Take three. Yeah. Hmm? Isn't that what we do? And if not, then what? Expel them. You can't hardly expel people out of somebody else's church. <laughs> But you know what you can do? Tell them, you know what? I love you like a brother, but the fact is, I don't believe you're a Christian because you don't act like one. According to the Word of God, you don't act like one, and I can't look at you as a Christian until you do. Listen, I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you, but you know where I stand. It's hard, isn't it? You don't know why? Because he's going to show us the extent of the rebelliousness. There's a vivid illustration that tells the extent of their evilness. Listen to this. They are, get this, waterless clouds carried by the wind. You want to know what that means? They offer promises of blessing in response to what God has done for them, but they never do it. That's what a waterless cloud does. A waterless cloud comes along, looks like you're going to get rain, and never gives it. Yeah? Looks, looks like a rain cloud, acts like a rain cloud, never get any rain out of it. So what does that mean? 
They constantly say they're going to tithe, but they never do. They constantly make excuses why they don't and can't participate in church and church activities because something else always comes up. They attend when it's convenient. Hmm? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I took all this right out of the Word of God. That's, this, Paul talks about these people specifically, and that's the things he says they do. Okay? Jude says that they are, get this, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead and uprooted. Did you wonder what that means? Paul says in several areas they are fruitless when fruit ought to be expected. Jesus said the same thing. You ought to be bearing fruit, but you're not. You're like a dead autumn tree, okay? You ought to have fruit. It's fruit time, but you're acting like it's fall. You're acting like it's autumn when fruit time is over. That time doesn't come until you're dead. Amen? But he isn't done yet. Notice what he says about it. He says they're twice dead and uprooted. Twice dead and uprooted. What does that mean? They're cut off from any source of nourishment. That means they're not plugged into the Word of God or God Himself, which is why all these ideas are coming up, which is why they're thinking and spewing all this garbage that isn't true. And you know what? They don't even know that they're dead. <laughs> he says, get this, they are wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their shame. Like the foam that's spewed over and over by the waves of the sea, so their shame comes forth by their words and their behavior, all the time denying it's true. <laughs> Listen, I, these are not my words. This is right here in the Word of God, friends. He says they are wandering stars for whom the deepest dark, darkness has been reserved forever. Now, I'll bet you some of you are wondering what that means. You're guessing about what it means, but what does it really mean? What he's saying is, according to Paul, they seem to shine at first, but without direction or orbit, they will eventually be gone forever. <laughs> I told you this is rough. And then, get this, Enoch himself, according to Paul, prophesied their demise centuries ago. Remember Enoch? He was the man who was so close to God, then all of a sudden he was gone because God took him. Genesis 5, yeah? Okay. Paul said that Enoch prophesied about the Lord's coming, coming with ten thousands of his saints and angels, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, coming to execute judgment on all, 2 Thessalonians, coming to convict all who were ungodly, such as these ungodly dreamers, off their ungodly deeds committed in an ungodly way, and of the harsh things spoken against the Lord by ungodly sinners. And if this wasn't enough, Jude tells us even more about them. Get this. He says they reject authority. Of course they do. Now, you can say, well, why didn't you use that as your first point and start with the reject authority and then say what it comes to? Because the basis of everything is rejection. They refuse to be told anything. They are so self-centered that they refuse to take the truth at its core. Now, of course, we don't have any people who are rejecting authority today, do we? In fact, friends, it's worse today than it's ever been. It's an epidemic. And you know why? Because the devil has pushed this, and people have accepted it, and it is rampant. I blame parents. I blame grandparents. I'm serious. I am dead serious about that. Any one of my kids, somebody at school called up and said, 
um, I'm going I need permission to powder your kid. Rock on. I'm dead serious. And the parent comes in and said, don't you dare touch my kid. Well, guess what? Then maybe you should. Okay? Because you got an epidemic on your hands and you don't even know it. And you know what? You think it's nothing today. I guarantee you, wait, wait 15 years and see what happens. The Vigo County Jail is full of people just like that. And I can tell you, it all started out because they refuse to respect authority. Nearly every time. And you say, well, they, they have addictions. Uh-huh, because they refuse to respect authority. It's against the law. So you want to talk, you want to talk games? We can. Friends, I'm not being mean. I'm just simply telling you, this is what you start. But we want to sugarcoat it and say it's not that. It's not that bad. Yes, it is. That's why we're in the problem we're in today. That's why we have it now. That's why it's here. The evidence, he says, is in the way they talk. We've seen that they were quick to speak evil, contrary to biblical teaching. Jews' description of them tells us that they're complainers. They're constantly going against solid biblical teaching and slandering those who teach it and stand against it. I know I've been the benefactor of that. And I'm not, I'm not, this ain't about me. Am I, am I right, Bernie? Am I right, Irvin? These guys know exactly what I'm talking about because they were in it with me. Yes or no? 100%. And that's, and, and that's just one incident. Guys, it's happening all over the country today. Any Christian that stands for the real truth is slandered because that's exactly what Satan wants to do, discredit. Don't even get me started in politics about it. Okay? Because I can burn that one all day long. These people show complete lack of respect for apostolic and pastoral authority, claiming things like, well, our church and our pastor, they don't think like that. Well, shame on them. They should. 1 Corinthians 10.10, Philippians 2.14, Paul talks about these people specifically. There it is, biblical. They use, they use their flattery to flatter those who are in authority who think and teach like they want, and it was condemned by the apostles when they did it. So you want to pick and choose churches and go to pastors that won't touch those things that you don't like? Shame on you and them because you're flattering them by attending their teaching. That's what he's talking about. But we want our ears tickled, don't we? Romans 16, 17 and 18 tells it right there. Paul says it. Look it up. Friends, I, I, I'm serious. I'm giving you biblical examples of everything Jude's talking about. Evidence is in the way they talk. The evidence is also in the way they act. What do you mean? The way they think and live? Uh-huh. Listen to this. They indulge their own lusts, or as the NIV translate it, translates it, they follow their own evil desires. How? As sensual persons. Now, clearly, this was a rejection of biblical, pastoral, and apostolic authority and teaching. Peter says so as well, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 1, 14. Say they rejected the real teaching and believed what they wanted, and they went places and listen to people that would tickle their ears. That's how we're choosing churches today. We're choosing churches not based on biblical authority and truth. We're choosing churches that make us feel good. And we even have elders in churches telling pastors, you can't touch these subjects. Well, somebody stands condemned and ain't the pastor. Unless the pastor says, okay. Friends, I'm, I'm, I'm laying it out there the way it is because that's what Jude said. 
Either he's, he's telling the truth or he's lying. He says they're flattering people to their own advantage. In the Greek, this phrase means, or mostly translated, using sensuality and sensationalism to flatter and influence others. Of course they are. That's exactly what they're doing. When you tell a pastor they can't speak on certain things that's biblical, that's what you're doing. When you rebuke a pastor or a teacher and run off and go some, find someplace else when they, won't, when they won't back off, that's what you're doing. And they, they prove that this is who they are by causing divisions within the church. And that's my reasoning, friends. That's why this church believes this and this church believes that, and Christians can't come together on anything. Well, we sure ought to because it's all right there. And you want to say, well, you're, you're black and white, <laughs> because most of the time it is. Now, there are some gray areas. I get it. I understand. Gosh, people are leaving in a hurry. What's going on? But listen. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean to him. It just seemed like there's a lot, a lot of movement going on. Okay, so listen. I, I, friends, what I'm trying to say to you is this, okay? People, they want to believe what they want to believe. They want to do what they want to do. That, that's, that's the society that we have bred today. Now, I might be speaking to a smaller group of people than, other, than, other, than they are in other places. But this is what you can be sure of today. I didn't put any of my own opinion in here. Not a bit of it's my own opinion. This is what Jude says, and I laid it out there, and I researched it to the letter. And this is exactly what the Greek says, and this is what he means by it. And I went and found biblical evidence that says that's what he's saying. Because the Bible never contradicts itself anywhere. And when anybody wants to disbelieve or disagree, that's exactly what they've done. They've compromised the Word of God. This isn't my, this isn't my words or his. And I'm going to tell you something. This division in the church is happening because Paul says it is in Romans 16. It was happening back then. It's happening now. And you know what? You don't need Paul's words to know that. You see it. I know you do. How can you not? So as our worship team comes this morning, the last phrase of verse 19 to me sums it up, sums up the condition of these godly dream, ungodly dreamers. They're not having the spirit. They defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil and slander. They demonstrate that they're walking according to the lust of the flesh, not according to the, the lust of the Spirit. Galatians 5. The end of these ungodly dreamers is clearly stated in the Scriptures as emphasized by the Apostle Paul. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? They who do this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.21. Peter says, to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. 2 Peter 2. As stated by Jude, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. In our next study, friends, we're going to consider Jude's counsel on how we can avoid being misled by this group of people that he calls ungodly dreamers. The question is, does Jude's character, characterization of these ungodly dreamers hit a little too close to home in some areas? If it does then maybe you ought to be here at the altar today because if that's the case, then you're not spending time where you ought to. And you're being misled by people who aren't here or here. It's on their feelings. And God says no. And I know this is a harsh message, friends, but the truth is the truth and we have to accept it all. But to Him be the glory forever and ever, yeah?